Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. Okay, in this episode, I'm going to try to do a little bit of a rapid fire round with the lib stuff. I mean, a lot of these libraries, as I kind of indicated last time, they're, 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 they're well, they're support files. And so there's not a whole lot, you know, I mean, th that they exist is great, but without going into like a demo application for each one, which I, I don't think would be all that interesting, ultimately, uh, there's not much to say about them. So let's just run through some of these. libkdepim. I don't know, what do you think that would be? Uh, yep, you're right. It is a library, the personal informa information management suite in KDE. So you've got things like kcheck combo box, kwidget lister, line edit catch return key, multiplying line, progress dialogue, and, and so on. So that's that's stuff that you're gonna see in the PIM suite if you're using Kmail, Contact, and so on. LibKDE VOC document. I don't know exactly how to say that. I I guess it's LibKEDU VOC document. Anyway, this is a parser for KVTML. What the heck is KVTML? Well, KVTML is a format for uh, K word quiz, which you'll recall we, we talked about maybe two or three episodes ago. K word quiz was a flashcard program. So when you create your own flashcard uh, decks, they get saved out into the KVTML format. And this library helps you write that and part uh, and read that read and write kv K ktvml okay so that's the uh, libkeduvoc document next up is libkexif exif uh or sorry exiv e x i v not f uh to library so this is the it's a wrapper for kde around exiv to in order to read and write metadata around uh, on on image files so this is the kind of thing that you might see in digicam or in gwenview or any application in kde where you can look at properties of an image and find out what longitude and latitude it was taken at or what um what date it was taken on or what camera was used to to take it and so on libkg API. So this is uh, GAPI in this context is the Google API. So various Google services you want to connect to those, libkg API can help. I assume that's things like quick integration with with Gmail accounts and probably whatever kind of um, SSO Google has in place. Maybe chatting? I kind of doubt that because I think Google has gone pretty closed with their chatting now. But anyway, that's that's the Google API library, libkg API. Next up is libkipi or kippy, kippy, k-i-p-i. We talked about KIPI, the Kippy plugins, Kippy plugins, uh, earlier, you know, way back in the K section. And if you'll recall, they, it was the, 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 the function, the, the, 
you know, the Keepy plugin was a function in an application that let you quickly and easily upload images from probably GwynView, probably, well, definitely Digicam, probably something else, to, uh, like, for instance, um, trying to find one that I don't hate, uh, um, Pi... PyWigo, PyWigo, um, and then the other, oh, Flickr, I guess they have Creative Commons stuff, right? Flickr is pretty okay, I guess. Uh, And then there's Dropbox and Facebook and Google services and Image Shack and I am, oh yeah, Image, Imager, I-M-G-U-R, that one, that's pretty funny. J-Album, don't know what that one is, uh, and so on. So you've got all those different services. They are a mere click away because of Keepy plugins. So the library version of that um, is the 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 rap that's what provides that right if you're a if you're a developer and you decide oh i should i should make that option which by the way even though i don't like many of these services um i do think it's very nice to have them available in the application like that that that's the kind of feature that just makes you know for for people who use those services that makes the application really really useful so um yeah i've always thought that keepy was kind of a like a quote-unquote important project i don't like saying important but it is i mean it's an important thing for a lot of people because they use those services and that makes it really easy to just send stuff up to your account i mean it's great Uh, sometimes i mean honestly if i never had to open a web browser i would be really happy i don't know if that's the best like goal you know like to be fair a web browser is a unified interface roughly uh for uh, accessing a lot of different services and lots of different information so i mean it it definitely has its a lot of use like a lot of use like it's really nice sometimes but on a personal level i just find it so much richer of an experience to use applications and then not to have to go to the web browser to log into an account and go to the play just click the button and have it go to the internet like that's that's what i want that's the experience that i really really want and it just doesn't seem to be the norm so libkeepy and and the keepy plugins makes that a reality in some small way okay next up is libclio and this is the um that it hooks into cleopatra which we spoke about that's the gpg inter uh, front end really really nice little um uh front end it's it's really quite nice i highly recommend it if you're using kde plasma desktop check out cleopatra it's really really convenient this is libcleo so this is the library that lets kde pim applications handle and and find and interact with your crypto uh your your key and your certificates it, crypto not your cryptocurrency crypto the traditional sense of crypto cryptographic you know private uh yeah pi- private keys personal keys and uh ssl certs and other kinds of certifications so that's what this does anything in here important no it's just it's purely a library. I mean, I'm pretty sure all of these are just libraries. Okay, next up is libcompare-diff. Nope, not next. That that libkmajong was next. And that is a library used by several KDE games based around mahjong tile sets. This is an important principle of software development. When you start seeing a lot of different people 
implementing the same stuff, maybe it's time to move it out into a library. And I don't know who started making other Mahjong games. I mean, I think I, I think I do know, right? I mean, there was K Mahjong, and then what was the other one? Um, it was just very recent. There was another one that used that same tile set, and it was like a variant of Mahjong or something like that. So I would say that that's probably that's probably why this exists. It's the shared component of 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 Mahjong tiles or functions. So this is very important though, really. And and it, it, it as so many things in software development, this applies to more than just software development. When if you are working on something and you find yourself repeating the same information over and over again or the same process over and over again, stop and think about how you can do the, the the task once and then somehow reuse it. Whether it's it can be anything. I mean it can be it could be a hack. You know, it could just be that in the document that you're writing, every time you think you need to quote um, rule number zero of your game, then just write rule underscore zero underscore paste. And then and then after you're done your whole document, use said to find every instance of uh, rule underscore zero underscore paste and replace it with the, you know, the, the paragraph that you wanted to insert, insert there or whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy, but just the idea of repetition should be reduced to automation. Next is libcompare-diff2. This is a library wrapping compare, the KO com compare, the KDE merge uh, tool. You can get that view in more than just compare. You can you can get the diff functionality thanks to this library. libkSane. Sane is the scanner access now easy sane. And it is the it is that one project that just gives you access to all the scanners. It's amazing. I just actually bought a scanner recently because I decided that I finally needed a good way to get physical documents into my computer and I, I'd been doing it with like a digital camera up until now and I finally got like a, a scanner. They've come down in price a lot. Um, and I hook it up when I need to and I use, uh, what is it, um, Scanlight to, to scan documents in and it's, it's great. But, but Sane is the thing, I mean, Scanlight probably uses libkSane. It is the, it's the application or the, it's the foundation that, that just, it knows how to interpret scan data. I, I don't know if it does like literally all, I don't know if it does like medical scans, I don't know, haven't looked. But, I mean, like, if you put something onto a flatbed scanner and you want to ingest that into your computer, you're, you're probably using Sane, and, and quite possibly with something like Scanlight, you're also using libkSane. It's the library that gives your KDE application access to, to Sane. And I love these kinds of projects. There was, um, there was a, a digital camera project for a while. What is it? Actually, it might be UVC, actually, or GUVC if you're on, if you've got the, the GUI front end for it. And it, it just, you know, with, with one, one sort of package, you just get like plug in any one of a thousand cameras. And, and the reason it works on Linux is because of that, because of that library. And that's kind of how Sane is and kind of how I guess. So it, it, it's cool because if you have Sane, you can, you can almost expect your scanner to work. There, there's going to be an exception. Someone out there is going to build a scanner with a pointless barrier to, you know, communicating out to a computer. They're going to do something stupid, 
and and that's going to not work. But but everyone who does sort of the same process, all you know, just the sort of the bare minimum of here's a scanner and here's the data that it sends to computers, saying can can talk to those things. All right, let's talk about lib k screen. Now, if I recall, yeah, screen is the uh, remember there was a there was like a k screen application and this is not what that is. This is an actual screen management library. So this is libkscreen. It is the library that gives you a bunch of different views of your displays, like your physical monitor that you've got sitting in front of you right now. That's that's libkscreen interacting with that monitor. So you're going to see this in system settings when you go to the displays or, or monitors or whatever it's called these days. I think it is actually called displays. Probably depends on your your language settings. Um, KDE screen management, my favorite screen management. I mean, I will admit lately, I've not had trouble with any screen management on Linux. Like it's just, it, it just works all the time. It just kind of works as it's expected to work. Um, but I don't know. The KDE one for me is very familiar. It feels good. It feels like it has a lot of options. I'm not, I'm not saying GNOME, you know, like my GNOME laptop, that works fine too. Like no problem there. I, I plug my laptop into a projector for a um, conference or something. It just comes right up. Not a problem. Uh, I'm just saying that, I don't know, the, the, the KDE Plasma Desktop Display Manager, very nice. You, you go there, shows you the displays, it shows you the orientation, it shows you the positioning, uh, lots of different options. And I just, I just, I love it. It seems to work really well. Okay, libkcive, sieve, a sieve, I guess. Um, so libkcive is a, it's just that IE, so I think it's sieve, but it's sieve. I mean, it's a sieve, like a flower sieve. But anyway, libkcive is, it, it, it does mail filtering. That's, that's what its job is. So when you're, when you're filtering things through kmail, you're using libkcive. Libkcisguard is a system information library, so it gives um, information about like the different hardware sensors to applications like probably kinfocenter. That would be my expectation. Libktorrent kind of says it all, doesn't it? All right, we're out of the libs. We're out of libs now. No more libk anything. We're just into localize. Localize with a k. Localize k and a z. Uh, localize is a computer aided translation system that focuses on productivity and quality assurance. Has components usual uh, for the CAT tools, so translation memory, glossary, and a unique translation merging or synchronization capability. It's primarily targeted for software translation and also integrates external conversion tools for freelance office document translation. I don't really 100% know what they mean, freelance office doc translation. As far as I know, Klocalize uses uh, git text files with like, you know, the .pot extension. I think we, we, we've talked about this before um, previously, like I probably win the git text in the git text section of, of this sort of journey. Um, but yeah, you, you kind of need, you need, as far as I know, let's go to open really quick. All supported files, uh, git text, klif, and linguist are the supported file types. So if you don't have those file types, uh, you know, you're not going to be really translating a whole lot. But if you do have something like that, so if I went to open and then went to user 
Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. User share. Actually, I have to look up where I have some PO files now. Uh, it should be, I mean, practically everywhere. I feel like I've seen so many PO files, but I could just be thinking of MO files, which, yeah, I think I am. Okay, so I'm gonna have to do a, I'm gonna do a grep of, um, dot PO, I guess, in, I guess I'm gonna have to do that grep, actually. I'm gonna do a find on var log packages slash type f, and I think that should be find, so dash exec grep dash capital H, and oh, there there we go, yep, there's there's a bunch of .po files. Oh, no, no, that's not right, okay. .po dollar sign. I want them, I want them when they appear at the end of the line. Here we go. Here's a LibreOffice share basic script forge en.po, and that is kept in my opt directory. That's fine with me. So I'm going to go back over here to this thing and go to slash opt slash LibreOffice 7.4 share basic script forge poen.po. Does not like that. Um, let's go there. Okay, there we go. Now we can open up, I think, yeah, the scriptforge.pot file. There we go. Yep, that's what I needed, was a .pot file. So, um, over on the, I mean, this is so cool. Over on the left, translation units, you've got all of the different things that it needs translated. And it's, it's things like, do you want to receive more information about the percent one uh, method? So, in other words, that's a variable. It's it's talking about something that's going to be dynamically completed by the application, but obviously the translator would want to translate that phrase into their target language. And you do that by typing your your translation of that into this into the bottom panel there in localize. And then when you're done, when you you know you you do that for every all the things listed over on the left. And when you're done, you can save it back out as a .po file. That gets added to the project, it gets um, submitted, you know, you, you would push it back for a merge request, and they would merge it into the repository, and then the next time they build the project, there's your translation files. And so when someone says, oh, I need this in, you know, whatever language you'd translate it into, th that's available now, because you translated it. And it really is that, that sort of that easy. Now, I think, in a way, the hardest part is knowing, first of all, what file type to look for, uh, and then certainly knowing where to find, you know, sort of the development process. That said, I think translation is a pr relatively easy way to get started because, yeah, you have to you have to get through all the Git stuff. You have to figure out how to do the the Git clone and maybe make a, your your own branch. Although, you know, these days with all the Git stuff online, you don't even have to do that. You can have your own main branch. And then when you you push it back up to your to your repository and you're just doing a merge request between repositories these days so you don't even have to do a branch if you didn't want to uh, as far as i know i mean unless the project says oh you have to have everything in a separate branch but i mean ultimately does that matter because they're just gonna they're gonna merge it i guess it just depends on the project um process but anyway localize makes it really pretty simple and uh i've not used it so you know i i can't i can't sort of like claim that it makes things easy and better and all that other stuff because I, I just don't have experience doing this. Um, but it is it is quite a nice application. I have worked with translators. I just n not not so closely that I know 
like what software they use, how they're using it, what's what's good and what's bad and that sort of thing. I don't I don't have that level of of granularity, but um it does seem quite nice. Okay. So next up is L L Scat card game. So this is Lieutenant Scat from German Offizier Scat. Um and it is a fun and engaging card game for two players where the second player is either a real person or not a real person. So this is one of those games uh, that uses the KDE library that we were talking about uh, in the previous episode. And you can you can tell. I mean, it looks like a KDE game application. It's got all the different widgets that you'd expect. And it's a fun game. I'd never played it before. Uh, it doesn't take long to sort of sort of get the rough hang of it. Um, each player gets, there are two players, each gets uh, uh, 16 cards, and, and they're stacked on top of each other in pairs. So there's a card, there are four, you, you see eight cards in front of you, eight cards in front of your opponent, and under each of those eight cards is another card that you cannot see yet. You cannot expose the one underneath until you play the one on top. You don't know what those ones underneath are. So everyone knows everyone else's hand, except nobody knows the second, you know, the second hand. It's basically a challenge game. You throw down a card at your opponent, and they have to meet or beat that card. Or actually, they have to beat that card, really. Um, so, for instance, I'm going to just start a new game here. So if I go, if I start a game, I get my eight cards face down, and then I get eight on top of those face up. I can see what my opponent has. It's a pretty... It, it doesn't use the whole deck. It just uses the king, queen, jack, and then ace, and then nine, eight, seven. And there, there's a hierarchy that is very difficult to remember. And that's, I think, the, the weakness of this game so far, is I can never remember the hierarchy. And I don't love how it's explained in the rules. I, I just wish there was, like, a little cheat sheet somewhere. But essentially, the values of each card is ace 11, 10 is 10, king is 4, queen is 3, jack is 2, and then 9, 8, 7 are all 0. And But then there's also um, an order of hierarchy for, for the suits as well. So you got cup, spade, heart, diamond. That's from greatest to least. I don't know why. Why is diamond less than a cup? I don't know. So if I throw down like a 9, for instance, then my opponent matches that with a 10 and got 10 points. Okay, so they've thrown down a 10. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, uh, match that with a, I wish at least maybe a rollover that would help. Like if, when you rolled over a card, if it told you the value, that would be nice. Uh, 10? No. Okay, a 10 is a 10, so an ace. I could really only beat this 10 with an ace. I do not have an ace, and my opponent likely knew that I didn't have an ace, so I'm just gonna throw a seven, because I, I wasn't going to beat that one anyway. All right, now my opponent has played a king, and kings are worth four. So if I play, for instance, a ten, well, that would be kind of silly, because that's a really powerful card for, for a four. Although I guess, honestly, that's about the only thing I can do to beat this thing. Oh, it doesn't let me. Oh, did it, it didn't throw down a ten, apparently. It threw down a king. Did I say that? Okay. Threw down a king. Oh, yeah, and I'm saying I need to throw down a ten, but it won't let me for some reason. Maybe because it's a heart of kings, so a tin of clovers or whatever doesn't work? I don't know. I just put down a seven. Yeah, I don't know. The hierarchy of this game is very, very confusing to me. Uh, that, that, that I am not getting. But it's a, it's a well-done game, and I think that if, with a little practice and repetition, I would probably internalize the hierarchy of the cards, and then be able to play. And I think it's actually a pretty 
fun game. I probably won't be playing it on the computer so much as I will actually probably play it in real life with someone because that just seems... I have a really beautiful deck of, of cards that I've been meaning to enlist for something. I mean, I, I, I use it for for some games as it is, but I mean, it's a really unique, like it's a, you know, like a, what, what, like a designer deck of cards. Someone gave it to me for a, as a Christmas gift a couple of years ago. And it's really nice. They're literally black and they have a uh, silver and gold looking sort of, um, iconography, uh, of various mythological creatures. So it's, it's a really cool looking deck. Uh, and it, it feels like it's more, you know, it's a deck you don't want to just play, I don't know, poker with or, or canastas or whatever, you know, you, you want to use it for something good. This could be that, that game. So yeah, it's a fun game and, and well done and lib, lib K games obviously being used. Uh, and interestingly, it came up in the ancient Egyptian theme automatically, uh, which is kind of cool because I'm pretty sure I had not, like when I opened it to take a look at it for this episode, I don't think I'd opened it before. Uh, so just the fact that it sort of defaulted to that theme, I don't know. I felt felt like KDE kind of kind of knew where I was coming from there. Mail Common. That's the KDE PIM library providing support for mail applications. I think that says pretty much everything we need to know about it. It's it's the it's the machinations of of email. Possibly more interesting is Mail Importer. I mean, not that Mail Common isn't interesting. I'm sure it's very interesting, but I don't know. Mail Importer is kind of cool because it's a collection of um, filters for for different locate you know different structures of email so you got clause ma- filter clause mail filter evolution filter evolution version 2 version 3 filter ice dove filter importer base filter info filter k a k k mail archive k mail mail dir uh, inbox mail app mailman gzip that's interesting filter uh, opera filter pmail filter plain Filter Sea Monkey, Silfeed, The Bat. Don't know what that one is. Uh, filter Thunderbird. So lots of common sources to get your email into Kmail in the way that you would expect it to come into Kmail. As I think that's the that's the big the big deal here, right? Is that the expectation is is possibly exceeded at least met when you run the import wizard for kmail that i think that step is so important because that's you know like that's the that's the that's what you want that's the expectation you want your mail to look exactly like you had it organized in your other application in this new fancy application that you've you've dared to to migrate to i think that import step is is really really significant i remember for thunderbird i mean that was for the longest time it still probably is i just haven't used it recently because i've been using kmail but i mean big fan of thunderbird and for the longest time like i was able to get people onto thunderbird without really a problem because it was so easy to import email into it and it looked or you know it functioned exactly like their other email experience all the email was in the same place the folders were there it just felt normal. It felt right. And it wasn't even a, it wasn't a, there was no, it was just something you did while you, you first launch, you import your mail and then you, you're done. You forget about it. Everything just works. So very important step. Okay. Marble. Marble is one of those interesting applications that I feel like I should sort of be more excited about. And I just, I'm just not really that excited about it. I mean, I'm not trying to disparage it. I think it is a very cool application and I imagine a lot of people really, really enjoy it, and 
I, I, I imagine I could also enjoy it if I, if I was into this sort of thing. It's, it is, it's the globe, and it's floating out in space, and you can zoom in to just really surprising, uh, levels of detail, um, and you get to see all kinds of stuff when you zoom in. Um, you know, you don't get to see, like, pictures of streets or anything. Or do you? Um, well, there's a bunch of different settings and plugins and and add-on services, online services. You can see earthquakes, you can see places, you can see OSM mapper notes, uh, you can see photos, satellites, weather, Wikipedia, amateur radio, uh, things, uh, atmosphere effects, the stars. You, if you zoom back out, you can see constellations kind of like in, um, the, the, what is it, K, K Stellar, or whatever it was called, K, K Constellation, or, or something like that. But there's, I mean, there's literally an open street map plug-in here. So you can, you can see, you can see the streets and things like that all, all over the world, um, as long as someone else has gone before you and taken photographs and, and, you know, mapped it out. And there's, a, there's a lot. I mean, if you've never used OpenStreetMap, it's kind of amazing how much stuff is in there because people do. They, they go around, they take pictures, they, they record stuff. And, and a lot of it's, you know, from pub- public, publicly available, you know, government, uh, mapping data. And then people add to it through their own, um, GPS, uh, tracking and things like that. So, and, and then they also, I mean, there's a couple of great little applications on Android specifically for sort of like a gamification of, of OpenStreetMap where you can, you can zero in on, um, on things that are, have, have been that have not that are not complete and and fill in the information like you can go around your town and fill in information that no one has filled in yet for that specific thing so, or or correct information like oh this road doesn't actually end here uh it it ends uh you know it it crosses this street and keeps going or or this street doesn't cross the street and and keep going it ends here um one of the applications is Street Complete, which you can get from F-Droid, and it's got, yeah, like I say, all kinds of cool little mini-quests, as it were, and, and, you know, you just, you select your area, and, and you get all kinds of information, like, is there a bench at this park or not? Uh, what are the opening hours of this particular cafe? Um, and so you can go on a little stroll, fill in information, and you're contributing actively to OpenStreetMap. It's it's very, very cool. And all of that stuff, in turn, gets populated into Marble, because, I mean, if, you know, if you're using the OpenStreetMap plugin, uh, and, and then people are looking at data that, like, you filled out. It's really, really cool. So, I know I said I didn't really get that excited about Marble, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm getting more excited about it. It's just one of those applications, I guess, what I, what I mean is that I don't really use it that often. And, um, it does seem like a useful thing, and maybe I would use it more if I was traveling more, uh, and maybe once I start traveling more, maybe I'll, I'll use it more. Who knows? But, um, yeah, it is a really cool look at, at, at the planet that we live on, and external of the planet, you know, like I say, there are those, there's the constellation view that you can have active, there's the weather systems you can have active, so you, you do get kind of a bird's eye view of, um, of this, of this little blue marble that we all live on. Maybe that's why they call it, um, marble. So yeah, that's a, I guess that is an exciting project, actually. Um, and, and, and maybe it's even more exciting if you just like looking at that sort of stuff. I think looking at, at maps and things like that, for me, it, it, 
it makes me less curious and more like I want to travel and I, I get frustrated that I'm not traveling. So I guess I don't really look at maps all that often for fun. Uh, I'd rather just read a book or something. Okay, anyway, Marble. Cool project, honestly, even though I said I wasn't excited about it. Um, now I feel really bad because I feel like I've talked poorly about Marble, but actually it's a very cool project. You should be excited about it. Um, and once I start using it, maybe I'll be more excited about it. Okay, next up is Markdown. No, next up is Markdown Part. And then f first, before we do that, is going to be coffee. Let's go get some coffee. We'll talk about Markdown Part. <laughs> I got my coffee and I'm ready to talk about Markdown part. This is a Markdown Viewer K part. So this is essentially a Markdown Viewer um, plugin that you can put into your KDE application as a developer. This is, I think, beautiful and important. And I really think that it's just one of those things that everyone should should have in anything doing text. Should just should have Markdown options that make it easy to work with Markdown. It, it, you can't have too much of that, I don't think. And yeah, I, I have talked poorly of Markdown in the past, and I still don't like Markdown. I would much rather use ASCII Doc any day. That said, Markdown, I shouldn't say, Common Mark, Common Mark, specifically Common Mark, the one that actually has a schema, it's a brilliant little tool. And it's not that I love it or hate it, it's that it is structured. That's the important thing. The The enemy of both comprehension and machine um, parsing is unstructured text. Like, that does not help. Structured text helps. And Markdown is that. It is structured text. And so that is just so darned important. And I, I would love it if applications just used as much Markdown support as possible. There it is right there. Mark, uh, markdown part provides that for your KDE application. After that, you got Inbox Importer, which imports inboxes. Um, there are lots of different ways to store emails. Some systems do it as separate text files. Some just put it into one big monolithic file and just uses delimiters to, to split them up into messages. Uh, some others use actual databases. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's data. People have to figure out how to store it. There are different methods. Inbox is one of those methods. Inbox importer knows how to talk inbox, and so it knows how to grab uh, email in the inbox format. After that, there is message lib, which is the KDE PIM messaging library. I don't know what that is, and I could not determine what that was from reading about the the package. It, it doesn't really seem to say like exactly what kind of messages we're talking about. I think it's an email. I don't think it's like a, um, a chat, for instance, because I don't know of a chat component of PIM, unless Copete is in the PIM uh, uh, suite. I don't believe it is. And message, uh, message, whatever I'm looking at here, message uh, lib has things like um, Cleopatra integration. Uh, it has, or Cleo Util. Uh, it has Composer, which sounds, pr I'm pretty sure that's the email part. Uh, there's plugin editor. There's rich text, which, I mean, 
that's got to be email, right? But it could also be chat because some chat applications have the, the option for rich text versus uh, just plain text. Send later, that's got to be email. So I'm pretty sure this is just the handler for email messages. The weird thing is I don't think of email as messages. I think them of them, I guess, as, as emails or something. But I can see how they're also, that they are literally a message. So that kind of makes sense. All right, after that is Milu or Milo or Milu. Yeah, I guess that's, so it's either Milu or Milo. And that is the a uh, plasma applet that can search files, emails, contacts, events, and data indexed by KDE desktop search. I don't exactly know what this is. It sounds to me like it is the component of KRunner that gives you the ability of, of what was has just been said, the, the, the ability to search through anything indexed by the KDE desktop search. Um, whether whether that is correct or not, I, I don't know. And I, I didn't download all of KDE source code to look at KRunner just to find out. The, um, the, the, the list of the components is quite difficult to determine. Um, I mean, there is, you know, there's, because it's all QML, or maybe not all QML. It looks like QML to me. Um, it's got the, you know, the structure of, uh, the, org.kde.milieu, uh, contents, UI, and then search field.qml, that, that, that's why I thought it was QML, because it says it's QML, globals.js, uh, main.qml, and so on. Um, there is a desktop file, but if you search for Milo, M-I-L-O-U, it doesn't really come up with any, well, it doesn't come up with anything. So it could be the component in the K menu, you know, because you've got a search thing there. So that could also be the, um, that could be Milo, Milo. Um, or it could be something else entirely that I've just, maybe it's, it's literally a plasmoid that I've never added to my desktop. It could be any of those things and I don't know which, or it could have been, it could be all of those things. This could be something, you know, used by all of those, those three things. Um, but that's, that's what it is. It's, it's a search field and certainly I, I don't tend to use the search all that much. But when I, when it comes up anyway, uh, it, it tends to seem like it's doing its job. Like, you know, I see things that when I search for something, even though it's not what I'm looking for, I think, yeah, I can see why you would have shown me that. I mean, the only thing I use my search field for on KDE currently is to find an application. So if I want to launch something like localize, there's localize right there. But admittedly, like, let's say I was looking for, um, one. Then I could see that at the very bottom of the list here, a bunch of stuff with one, I guess, in the description, but here's a folder called one. Here's a folder called one page. Uh, you know, so there, there's things, there are things here that, that make sense for it to have found. And I keep, I have that turned on because I keep thinking, well, someday I might actually, might actually use that find function. And you know, I just, I just don't. I just don't. I like to go to the file and click on the file. I don't know why. It's just the, I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying that's how it is. Okay. Next up is Minuet. Minuet is another little GUI application here, and it is specifically designed for music education. So if you didn't know about this one and you've been meaning to, uh, I don't know, teach yourself some, some music stuff, well, you've got a little built in piano in, in KDE or in Minuet rather. And, uh, this is a, this is a quiz on music concept. 
you, there's a lot of different ground that it covers and and do have your sound adjusted for this because it will play sounds for you and if you're not <laughs> used to it if you're not ready for it you might get um you might be in for a, a bit of a fright but you can um you can get quizzed on chords just on on normal everyday chords on intervals, on rhythms, on scales, the bebop scale, the harmonic major scale, and its modes. Um, it'll, it'll, you know, and then you press the start test button, and it starts playing music, and you are meant to use that to train yourself to recognize specific notes or chords or or whatever. And then you, there's a little keyboard at the bottom of the screen, and you, um, you mimic what you just heard. It, it's a little bit intense. Like, it is, it is not, f I, I don't feel like it's even for the beginner, because it doesn't start with, like, here's what a keyboard is, and here are the different notes on it. Here's what a half step is versus a whole step. You know, it, it doesn't go into that. It's, it just, it starts pretty, pretty full on. Like, you, you need to know what a chord is. You need to know what a scale is, and the different the different scales that exist and so on. So it it is um I guess that's probably where I'd start traditionally like with scales. I guess that's the closest thing to here's what a keyboard is, but um it it's not yeah, I don't get the sense that it's sort of like for the beginner because it there's no there's no initial thing of like this is what minuet is, here's how here's how you play. Like it's just this is minuet, what do you want to be tested on? So that's that's the approach, which I think is a valid approach. It's just expectations uh, being set here. It, it is for someone who knows the general principles of music and is seeking to get trained on them. Frankly, it's something I should definitely start messing around with because that is that, that just, I certainly have no training for music and that is uh, that is evident in most of what I do, but uh, or most of the music that I do. So yeah, getting better at sort of the, the technical aspects probably would not be a bad idea. That's Minuet. Next up is Modem Manager Cute. It's a tier one KDE framework module wrapping the Modem Manager Dbus API. Well, I don't know what modem managers do. I I don't have a modem. It's not something that, I mean, I have a modem, but I don't interface with it directly. It's an embedded thing over there in the fiber box. All I do is plug my computer into the router, the router into the fiber box. I've set the router to, uh, to talk to, or not the router, the, um, the fiber box. I've set that up to talk to my provider. And so it all just kind of works that way. Actually, did I did I set up the no the, the fiber box is just the fi yeah I set up the the router to talk to my um, provider. Um, so yeah, my computer doesn't really have a, a knowledge of a modem manager. Um, it just it just does the networking stuff, which incidentally is the next one up. Network Manager Cute. I love Network Manager. I really do. It is one of my favorite applications um, at all. Like, it's just, Network Manager makes it so easy. Really, truly, truly easy. Um, I just, I, I don't know what we all did before Network Manager. And, I mean, I do know what we all did before Network Manager. We used, we, 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 we created configuration files for for our Wi-Fi cards to join certain networks, and we would use, um, well, the one that I can remember is Wicked, but you might have also used DHCPCD or DHClient or any number of commands that helped you do that sort of thing, and, and it's fine. You can do that, no problem. Network Manager makes it a lot easier. It, it in 
CLI is the command that interfaces then with Network Manager. And it had a slow start, as I recall. There were weird things you couldn't do in NMCLI initially, if I recall correctly. And it made it feel a little bit weird. But these days, there, there's a lot of functionality. And you can use either the Network Manager, GUI, or you can use NMCLI. And it all feels basically the same. You get to Network Manager from your system tray up, uh, up or lower right-hand corner, I guess, right? Because most people have their panel on the bottom in KDE. Mine, it's the upper right corner. Uh, it looks like a little computer screen with a cable sticking out of it and a little lock because I'm on a VPN. So that's the Network Manager. You can click on that and you get your quick view of all the networks that you have available. On this desktop, I have one connection available. Well, I have, I have one connection that I, physical connection that available. That's the wired connection one. That's available, good to go. I've got a couple of VPN selections to choose from, and then if I had a Wi-Fi card that I was using, I could, I, I would see that as well, and so on. I can click the uh, settings button to bring up system settings under the network or the uh, connections um, category, and that's where you can add new networks. So right now I've just got my wired connection, but if I happened to know that there was, I don't know, a new VPN that I wanted to set up, or a a second wired in, uh, Ethernet connection that I needed to set up, I don't know why I would do that. Well, Wi-Fi, you know, who knows? Like, there's, there's different connections that you might want to set up. You just click the add button, little plus button at the bottom, and you, you configure it. Over on the right is a, um, a little configuration panel for that specific, whatever network you have selected. And that's important because, um, certain connections might require, like a lot of them, you know, it's all handled by the router. You're, you connect to the thing, you're handed a DHCP address or an IP address by the DHCP server and, and you're done. That's it. But I mean, maybe you're managing your own DHCP. Well, go to IPv4 or IPv6, whichever you're lucky enough to have access to. And instead of method automatic, put it to method manual or whatever's appropriate for you. And you can enter all of the information that you need. Certainly that's important for a VPN connection because there's almost certainly a, a collection of credentials that you would need to have available in order to get to that VPN or to authorize, uh, f um, yeah, authenticate onto that v VPN. And all of that's just a GUI thing, which, I mean, that's nice. That's fine. I don't care. I'm, I'm just, I'm as happy to do that in NMCLI as I am with Network Manager. But for supporting others, that GUI is just priceless. I mean, it's not priceless, right? Because we all know that it's easier to tell someone a, a terminal command that lit it's like 15 words at the most for NM, NM CLI tends to be a little bit verbose, I think, but you know, 15 words, right? Easy. You can type it into an email and send it. All they have to do in theory is copy and paste it into their terminal. It would be so easy if that would work. It never works that way. And in the end, you're sitting there doing screenshots, sending them pictures of what they need to go to, which button you have big red arrow pointing at the exact button they need to press because when you told them to press OK, they somehow found the plus button. No, worse, the minus button and removed the network entirely. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it, it never happens the way that you think it's going to happen. And having that GUI is just so important sometimes. And that's what Network Manager provides. And it's really, really nice. And then frankly, sometimes it's just easier to use Network Manager because you're in an unknown place. You, you don't know what Wi-Fi networks are available. You know that there's a hotel uh, Wi-Fi uh, and they've told you the name of it, but but you're scanning the, the airwaves and you're not finding that particular name of the, of the Wi-Fi. 
And, you know, and so then, then you go to network manager and you realize there's some kind of entry point that's a completely different name, but you have to go there first so that you can then click the acceptance legal button that they have before you can get to a site, you know, and it's just, sometimes it's ju- just ends up being easier to do it sort of the way that quote unquote normal people expect you to, to, to interact with, with their infrastructure. And, and a lot of times that is just a, that's a gooey, a gooey way. And if you show it to someone, they'll, they'll know, they'll understand it. And that's sometimes important too. You know, you, you try to show someone how to connect, you show them network manager and it's basically, you know, you get the idea. Like if, if you, if you're not, if you're not a complete new user of computers you you get the idea you're like oh yeah i don't maybe i don't exactly recognize that widget because i'm on windows you're on this other thing that i guess must be a different kind of computer i don't know computer stuff but look there's a window there's some selections i click on that selection okay i get it i can i can replicate that so yeah that's that's a nice feature to have sometimes so yeah I'm i'm a fan i mean you know there were great ones before network manager don't get me wrong there was wicked that was a fantastic one loved wicked it had both a, a GUI and a TUI and a command. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, I think, does Network Manager have a TUI as well? Am I making that up? Or is that a thing? Network, network. No, I guess not. I must be making that up. I thought at one point there might be a, a TUI something or another for, for, net, for at least for configuring. That might just be a Fedora... CentOS rel thing. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, then the the next one is Octeta, and I kind of feel like that is interesting enough to maybe deserve its own spot on the next episode. So think about hexes, and we'll come back and delve into that a little bit next time. We've talked about hex editors before, but this is a GUI one, so that'll be interesting. Uh, so think on that, and then next time, next week, let's talk here about Octeta and more. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open
Jew, 